scripture reading this morning. Beginning in chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a person's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Chapter 4. But God gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Chapter 5. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, his holy word. Amen. There is a tremendous thirst for uh, wisdom today. And by wisdom, I don't mean knowledge. Uh, Knowledge has to do with how to do things, how to make things, how to run things, how to control things. Wisdom understands how to live, how to do life, like relationships, uh, difficult times in our lives, um, 
what to say, what not to say, wealth, the lack of it, how to live in that, what's worthwhile, what is not, how to choose what is good. Uh, The previous pope, Pope John Paul, once said that we in the West, we know how to make things. We, We have incredible technology. We know how to make luxurious cars. We we can uh, we have the best in medicine, but we don't know how to raise our children. And amidst all our technology and all our knowledge, we need to know how to live in the practical, down-to-earth, everyday things that fill our lives. We need wisdom, and in the New Testament, James is our book of wisdom. But James' wisdom is hard wisdom. Uh, It's in-your-face wisdom. James is, he just tells it like it is. He doesn't hold our hand. He doesn't coddle us. Makes us a little uncomfortable, maybe. James is writing to people who hold to the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives, and he says this, if you are going to call yourself a Christian, then you had better live like a Christian. Walk your talk. And then he goes on to give wisdom about how to live in trials, in temptations, how we should talk, how we should treat people, uh, wealth and poverty, attitudes and prayer, and how to live in the general Christian community with other people. Now, there are several people in the New Testament named James. Uh, and students of this book have debated, well, which James is this who's writing this book? Many believe it was James who was the brother of Jesus. You know, Jesus had brothers and sisters, and his brother James was very skeptical of his brother Jesus throughout his life, but later came to believe that his brother was indeed the Messiah, and James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Now, whether it's that James or not, he identifies himself not as the brother of the Lord, but he identifies himself as the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, or those who are scattered among the nations, dispersed among the nations. Uh, These were Jews. They had come to believe in Jesus, and they'd been dispersed. They'd moved outside of Jerusalem because of persecution, because of other reasons. James is more of a sermon than it is a letter. It's more instruction than it is correspondence. Uh, Someone said that the book of James is a showcase of Christian living. And James starts off right off the bat with something that, well, every follower of Jesus struggles with, and that's trials. Trials. And he tells us to take nothing but joy when you have trials of all different kinds. As James sees it, and here's his first bit of hard wisdom. Trials and testing help us grow in our faith. God uses trials to mold us, to shape us, so that we, number one, we grow in perseverance. We we don't become quitters. We learn how to live through those things and overcome. Second, so that we become mature. We grow up. And third, so that we become complete. We become whole and exactly what God wants us to become. You know, our natural tendency is to cut short the process of a struggle and get out of that trial as soon as we can. 
But that's like, that's like cutting off the bloom of the plant before the rose has a chance to, to come forth. And if we do that, we stop the work that God wants to do in our lives if we quit. The Living Bible really brings out, I think, the sense of James' words really well. Listen to what it says. Is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy, for when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow and don't try to squirm out of your problems, for when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. Maybe you're one of those Christians who say, you know, I want to be strong in my faith. I want to grow more like Christ. I, I want to be sold out for him. Well, how do you think you're going to get there? Maybe God wants to grow you in that trial that you are facing right now. Do you suppose? James will tell us about the new birth that comes in Christ, but, you know, that doesn't solve the conflict of uh, that old nature that we still struggle with. doesn't mean we're beyond temptation now because I'm a Christian. In fact, as one person said, Christians are a special people, but we are not a protected species. Followers of Jesus aren't immune from struggles. You and I aren't immune from struggles. And this is because patient endurance of all sorts of tribulations is, in fact, God's appointed way forward for us as people to the maturity and the crown that he has for us. Ask James, does the hill always go, does the road always wind uphill the whole way? And James will reply, yes, to the very end. James says later, blessed is the person who perseveres under the trial and stands the test. Perseverance, endurance, that is to hang in there, keeping our eyes on God, wanting to follow him all the way and for as long as it takes us to do that takes endurance. And that's the road to Christian maturity and strength. Even when it's hard. Okay. James uh, writes about the need not just to listen to the word of God, but also to do the word of God. You know, how much, doesn't matter how much we read, doesn't matter how many Bible studies we're in, doesn't matter if we're in Bible study fellowship, or we've gone to seminary, or we're reading through God's big story. It doesn't matter if whatever we read, if we don't hear it and learn it and then do it. James knows this. To merely listen to the word, he says, can be deceptive if we don't do it. To merely listen to the word but don't do anything about it, he says, is like looking in a mirror. And we see there's, there's junk on our face. We got spaghetti sauce. Or, or we're, I only shaved half of my face today. I forgot the other half. And, uh, and then we see it, but we walk away and we forget. We don't do anything about it. Action is required. Uh, any of you ever read C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters? Uh, Screwtape Letters is a book of fictitious letters written um, by a senior demon whose name is Screwtape. He's writing to his nephew, who's a junior demon in the ranks of hell, named Wormwood. 
It's, it was C.S. Lewis's kind of creative story way of thinking about the life of following Christ through the eyes of demons. Kind of a backwards, opposite perspective, you might say, into the life of faith. And the demon Wormwood, the junior demon, is assigned to this believer in Christ to get him off his faith, to make life so hard for him that he's going to quit on Christ. So Screwtape gives advice to his nephew how to defeat him and how to do this. So on one occasion, here's what Screwtape tells Wormwood. Now remember, this is a demon trying to keep a believer in Christ from obedience. To the demon, the enemy refers to God, okay? He writes, this is his advice. The great thing is to prevent this Christian from doing anything. As long as he does not convert it into action, it doesn't matter how much he thinks about this new repentance. Let the little brute wallow in it. Let him, if he has any bent that way, write a book about it. That is often an excellent way of sterilizing the seeds which the enemy plants in a human soul. Let him do anything but act. That's advice from hell. Let him do anything but act. Because as long as we just merely call ourselves Christians and we just read about it and we talk about it, maybe we even write about it, preach about it, don't do what God wants us to do, it doesn't make any difference. We're harmless. It's when we take God's word serious enough to actually integrate it into our lives and live it, that is when we become dangerous for God and his purposes. And so James' wisdom is do the word. Walk the talk. James writes about the mouth and the tongue. Mm. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Even if any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, their religion is worthless. Mouths that never shut often expose foolishness, arrogance, shallowness too much talk leaves the faucet running you know what I mean Uh, when we talk we can't listen if we can't listen we can't learn you know listening is an act of love shutting up and listening is an act of love it is a way of putting the other person before us and being patient with them nurturing them bearing with them sometimes And the words we speak are hugely important when we do. They can bless or they can break. They can heal or they can hurt. They can lift up or they can tear people down. Families, marriages, friendships, business deals, church life, race relations, international relations can be strengthened or destroyed by what people say to one another. When we speak out of anger, things get rough, don't they? You ever been there? said something out of anger, things got worse. Hmm? James says the tongue may be little. He says it's just a little thing, but oh, it packs such a big punch. And he uses three examples of little things that actually control a great deal. The first example he uses is a bit in the mouth of a horse. Even though that bit is just a little thing, it controls that large creature, which way that creature is going to go. Second example he uses is a rudder of a ship. That little rudder 
directs the entire ship through storms, through winds, through waves, things that are much bigger and seemingly mightier. And then the third example he uses is the example of just a small spark. Every forest fire that destroys acres and acres of land starts with just a small spark. And so James says, the tongue is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You ever been hurt by something someone said to you? Anybody here? You've, have you had that experience? Or um, have you ever seen a relationship end? People get angry and things be hostile, a family divided, a church split, literally because of what was said or maybe even what was not said? You ever said something you wished with all your might you could take back? Case made, okay? And I, you know, it's even easier to let words fly today with texting and email and Facebook because we can just let them fly without the accountability of ever having to face that person as we say it. James says, we've been able to tame some of the wildest animals on earth, but not the tongue. He doesn't know the half of it, does he? Because we now, we've been able to cure diseases that have ravaged people for centuries. We've been able to tame electricity and power and water and genetic codes. And we've been able to go to outer space and conquer galaxies. But last time I looked, as of November 15, 2015, we still haven't been able to tame the tongue. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say reflects what is in our hearts. If it's words of bitterness, if we are constantly criticizing others, if we are cursing, if we're swearing, that's an indicator of what's in here. If we are speaking words of love, speaking words of blessing and healing, that's a sign of what's in here. Nowhere does walking the talk become more clear in James than what he says about faith and works. Could you show somebody your faith just by the way you live? No words, just by your actions and your lifestyle, do you think? I'm reminded of a story of an Amish man, and someone asked him, well, are you a Christian? And he said, I don't know. Ask my neighbors. He was willing to stake his entire spiritual reputation on what others saw in him in the way that he lived. Remember that movie uh, a few years ago, uh, Jerry Maguire? Tom Cruise plays Jerry Maguire, who is an agent, a sports agent, representing an egomaniac football player named, uh, his name was uh, Rod Tidwell. And uh, Tidwell threatens to drop McGuire as his agent unless McGuire can negotiate a huge multi-million dollar contract for him. He wanted action. He didn't just want talk from his agent. He wanted action. And, and, and remember that phone conversation with that now famous line that came out of that movie where Tidwell yells to Tom Cruise, his agent, show me the money. Show me the money. Because he wants to see. Not just talk, but he wants... Well, James shouts, show me the faith. Show me the faith. Because God talk without God action 
is outrageous nonsense. For James, faith isn't just about talk. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not just about believing something up here intellectually, certain doctors, certain convictions. They can even be in our, in, in our hearts. Just to say, well, I believe in God, that's no big deal. Even the demons of hell believe in God. You know, they do great theology in hell. It would be a great seminary in terms of they got everything right down there. They know, but they don't love God. They don't live for God. They don't obey God. And that's where James stands. It's no good to say you have faith, but you don't have works. Faith by itself without actions is dead. He says you meet a person who needs clothes and food and you just wish them well and you don't do anything about it. He says, what good is that? Real faith shows in real action. Some people have a problem with the book of James because they, they, they read it and compare it to what Paul says about faith and being right with God in his letters about being right with God through grace alone and not through our works. And that causes a tension. Well, here's the deal. James and Paul are talking about faith in two different ways. Paul is talking about faith in Jesus to make us right with God apart from having to keep the Torah, the Jewish law. James is writing about faith. His concern is not salvation, but faith that shows once we've been reconciled with God. James' concern is not faith and law. James' concern is empty religion that is not lived. I mean, Paul even said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul never said works don't count or that they don't matter. Faith is expressed through actions of love. And in that letter to the Ephesians, after Paul says we've been saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast about their works, Paul immediately writes this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And all the people running around calling ourselves or themselves born-again Christians or evangelicals or saved or followers of Christ, but don't li live like it, might be made a little nervous by James' words about faith and works. They might be a little nervous about what Jesus said, too, when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do, who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus went so far, Jesus went so far as to say, to not do that will is to be an evildoer. James says, walking our talk involves how we treat others. Woo, imagine that. He says this, my brothers, my sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting, your church, wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit, sit at my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Do we greet that young, nice-looking family with 
attractive, cute kids when they come in, but when the hunched-over older man walks in, do we kind of ignore him? Beware of favoritism. James says, walking the talk has everything to do with our money. Okay, everyone duck, here it comes. Let the believer who's lowly boast in being raised up and the rich in being brought low because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. It is the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. I'm just going to leave it there. Paul, James writes about prayer. He writes about prayer. Anyone sick, that person should then call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Anyone here done that? Any elders in our church ever been called to pray for someone who's sick, anoint them with oil? Many of us ever see that happen? The elders are the leaders of a church. We have elders in this church that lead us. Oil was used in ancient times as a medicine, but the oil also symbolized the touch of Christ upon us. Christ literally means the anointed one. And so the oil, the anointing, is the touch of Christ through his spirit upon a person. And there's a further part to healing that James goes into. It is the place of confession and forgiveness. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Admitting our sinfulness. Praying for each other, receiving forgiveness. That's part of our healing. We're not always ill because we've done something particularly wrong against God. We get ill for all kinds of reasons. But I wonder how much illness and sickness among us is a result of things like pride or anger or selfishness or bitterness or unforgiveness. Receiving God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ is healing. It's healing. Well, you'll be challenged when you read James, if you haven't already. James writes this towards the end. He says, who's wise? Who's understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. Let him show it by his good life. Walk that talk by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Martin Luther once said this. He said, the world does not need a definition of religion as much as it needs a demonstration. And a lot of people today are not looking for an argument about faith and Jesus as much as they are watching those who wear the name Christian, who wear the name Jesus, and to see what difference it makes in our lives. And if we are consistent with that, actually doing what God tells us to do might be the powerful witness and testimony needed to demonstrate the heart and the ways of God to a generation that is searching for him and seeking for him and I think really hungry for him. So let's read James and let's embrace the wisdom in his book.
Let's pray. Father of every good and perfect gift, give us wisdom. And give us the grace to live the faith we proclaim and that we say we believe. Amen.